Hello, and welcome to the next episode of How Good It Is. It's the show that takes a closer look at songs from the rock and roll era, and we check out some of the stories behind those songs and the artists who made them famous. My name is Claude Call, and uh, no swab, it's not as bad as I thought it would be. Remember to check out the website, howgooditis.com, and the Twitter and the Instagram, and of course the Facebook page, which you can find over at facebook.com slash how, how good it is pod. And now I've got the Patreon page where you can show the podcast a little financial love, just like Gary Black and Jeremiah Coughlin did. And I thank you both very large for that. I don't know anything much about Gary, but I can tell you that Jeremiah is a very funny guy based on the West Coast of the U.S., and he's the co-host of a baseball podcast called Brine Time, which is presumably on hiatus since baseball in general is on pause these days. But you can check him out on the Instagram at Jeremiah Coughlin. And in the meantime, you can be like Jeremiah and Gary and check me out at patreon.com slash how good it is. And of course, you can find that link over at the website. And while I'm giving the shout outs here, let me also say hello to Dana and Amy, the hosts of the Run, Eat, Drink podcast. They're a married couple out of Florida who travel the country to participate in destination races, 5 or 10K, or half marathons, and they also find great places to eat and drink in those towns. They take their running seriously, but not so much that it's, you know, a complete bore. <laughs> they absolutely enjoy sharing food and drink tips with their listeners. And they have just made it to their fourth podiversary with episode 117. Say, guys, this is my episode 118, and I haven't made it to the three-year mark yet. Maybe I'm built for speed, and they're built for endurance. Anyway, they always, like, take the time to say nice things about me, so I'm saying nice things about them. Hi, Amy. Hi, Dana. I'm totally in your head now, okay? Here is a neat trivia question for ye. Name the artist whose greatest commercial success came from an alter ego he created based on a childhood nickname he had. This might not be who you think it is, so think carefully. You know, it seems almost poetic that a song titled Wild Thing has a little bit of weirdness attached to it. So let's turn back the clock to 1965, when a man born James Wesley Voigt, but more commonly known as Chip Taylor, wrote the song. Does that name James Voigt sound kind of familiar? He's got a slightly more famous brother named John Voigt, which makes Chip Taylor the uncle of Angelina Jolie. At that time, Chip Taylor was mostly known for writing country songs, but he got a call from record producer uh, Jerry Granaham, who wanted some rock and roll. Plus, he didn't have a lot of time to put something together. And when I say not a lot of time, according to Taylor, the song was needed the next day. Fortunately, he had studio time already booked for recording a country tune. So he called up his engineer, Ron Johnson, and said, I'm coming over, have my stool set up, hit record as soon as I sit down. He also told Johnson to turn the lights off so that he could lose himself in the song, just kind of feeling his way through it. I'm a little sad that I couldn't find a copy of the demo to share with you because I've read accounts that it's pretty sparse with some tambourine and Johnson doing what Taylor described as a little thing with his hands. And we're going to talk about that shortly. In an interview with Mojo Magazine in 2008, Taylor says that the pauses and hesitations that he does in the song were because he wasn't really sure what he was going to do next. However, later on, he came to embrace those pauses as being integral parts of the song. Anyway, the next day, his demo is presented to... Aha! You thought I was going to say the Trogs, didn't you? Nope. The song was recorded first by a group called Jordan Christopher and the Wild Ones.
now Jerry Granaham approved and produced the song for the Wild Ones, and the record was released on November 1st, 1965, where it pretty much failed to sell. And despite Jordan Christopher's name being out front, the song was sung by another member of the band named Chuck Alden, who later expressed regret for not performing it more like Taylor's demo. As I mentioned, the Wild Ones version didn't do much, but it did catch the attention of a garage band out of the UK named the Trogs. Now, the Trogs were signed to Larry Page, who was the Kinks manager and recording on his label called Page One Records. And when the Trogs first single flopped, they were given the choice of recording Wild Thing or another song called Did You Ever Have to Make Up Your Mind? And if that sounds at all familiar, it's because when the Trogs chose Wild Thing, the other song went to the Love and Spoonful. In early 1966, the Trogs recorded the song, and it was released in April of that year. The song was recorded in one complete take at Olympic Studios in London, but that doesn't mean they knocked it right out and they were done. What that means is that it got recorded all at once without overdubs or post-production work. They did have to record it more than one time to get it right, and in this song's case, the final recording was take two. Now, to be fair, they didn't have a lot of studio time booked. In fact, they had no studio time booked. Instead, when an orchestral session ended early, the band zoomed in to fill up the rest of the hour that Page had already paid for. So what's up with that flute solo in the middle of the song? Well, I'm glad you asked. If you know anything about this show by now, you know it's not a flute. It's an instrument called the ocarina, which is a very old wind instrument. And we're talking about going back as much as 12,000 years. It looks like a hollow teardrop about the size of your hand, usually made of uh, ceramic these days, and it's got a small projection to help you hold it. And while it can have anywhere between four holes and a dozen, most of them nowadays have only four, since an English mathematician in 1964 devised a way to play a full chromatic octave using only four holes. Score one for math. Anyway, when the Trogs heard Taylor's demo, they thought they heard an ocarina, so... It was really Ron Johnson doing that thing with his hands. He was holding him up against his face and making a whistling sound. So they said, that's an ocarina. So they got one for the recording session. Go figure. The Trogs version went to number two in the UK and number one in the United States. But here's the interesting thing. Because there was a dispute over distribution rights in the United States, and that kind of hampered the Trogs' career overall, um, the record was released here on two different labels, Fontana Records and Atco Records. Now, if you happen to have an original copy of the U.S. release on Atco, you might notice that the songwriting credit is wrong. The A-side, Wild Thing, is credited to lead singer Reg Presley, while the B-side is called With a Girl Like You is credited to Chip Taylor. Actually, the A-side is credited to Presley with one S, like Elvis. The credits read correctly on the Fontana version. In fact, there's a different B-side called From Home, and subsequent releases for Atco are correctly labeled, but it's an interesting goof nonetheless. For what it's worth, it doesn't add a whole lot to the record's value. You might get 10 bucks for it. At any rate, because of this bit with the dual label release and the fact that both pressings came from the same master recording, 
Wild Thing is the first and so far only song to reach the number one position for two different companies simultaneously. Now, that's not to say that they sound exactly the same. As it turns out, the Atco version has something the Fontana version doesn't. Specifically, right after Presley sings You Move Me, there's a little audible click, which was edited out of the Fontana version. I think the click is Ronnie Bond's drumsticks clicking because it's in time with the music and it kind of makes sense. But listen closely and judge for yourself. Hold me tight. You move me. Okay, now that's it for the Trogs version, and you know how I roll. I like to share a couple of covers with the song of the song with you at this point. And wow, are there a lot of covers out there, and most of them are very good in their own right. But let me start with this one because it came out not long after the Trogs version was released. What I've got here is a parody recording from 1967 by a comedy troupe called the Hardly Worth It Players, recording under the name Senator Bobby. The Senator Bobby we'd be talking about here would be Bobby Kennedy, so the record is full of inside jokes about the Democratic Party and the Kennedy family in general, plus it's peppered with the senator uh, getting coaching from the record's producer while he's recording. Wild thing. A wild thing. Uh, I think I love you. But I, uh, but I want to know for sure. Uh, come on in uh, and hold me tight. I love you, uh, yes. How's that, guys? Uh, is that about Pretty it? close, Senator. A little less stuttering, please, all right? A little more of a liberal interpretation, Senator. Can you do that? And watch the pronunciation of the word heart. Wild thing. That's perfect, Senator. Lay it on it, huh? Uh, you make my heart sing. Uh, it's really coming along, Senator. You make, uh, you make everything uh, groovy. Yes. Wild thing. All right, uh, Teddy on the ocarina, let's go. A tempo, Teddy, tempo. Senator, we're going to have to get these kids out of the studio. Sorry, Ethel, uh, you want to... That parody actually made it to number 20 on the Billboard chart. That same year, the Jimi Hendrix Experience performed at the Monterey International Pop Festival, and their rendition was captured on the album that was released in August of 1970, just a few weeks before Jimi Hendrix died. certainly one of the more notable and better known covers, but it was never released as a single. Now in 1988, stand-up comedian Sam Kinison recorded a novelty version of the song, which appeared on his album titled Have You Seen Me Lately? Uh, paired up with a video that got a lot of airplay on MTV, a video which probably set back male-female relations a few years, even for 1984, 
It had a lot of rock and roll celebrity cameos, plus an appearance by uh, Rodney Dangerfield and the then infamous Jessica Hahn as the woman at the center of it all. Kinnison, uh, he flipped the script a little bit, uh, okay, a lot, and he made the song rather misogynistic, setting up the wild thing as a heartless woman out to ruin men's lives. I have no idea whether any of the performers in the video played on the record itself because I wasn't able to find a, a personnel list for the single, but the record did make it to number 18 on the Billboard chart. Now, LA uh, punk band X recorded this next one in uh, 1984, and it didn't do much of anything until it was used as the theme music for Charlie Sheen's character in the 1989 film Major League. That opening note just sucks you in and takes you for an amazing ride. It's probably my favorite cover of the song. It was actually tough to find the record or even a downloadable version for a long time, but I have seen it lately on Amazon Music and Spotify. Now, a lot of people listening to this song thought it was Joan Jett, and I kind of get that. But I think part of the confusion arises from the fact that her old band, The Runaways, used to perform the song in their concerts, a recording of which was captured uh, on their Live in Japan album from uh, 1977. But that recording also makes it perfectly clear that it's not Joan Jett singing. That's our drummer, Sandy West. She's going to do a song for you called Wild Thing. You ready? Like this. Another one that I really like is this next one from 1981, recorded by Susie Sue, who most of you know from Susie and the Banshees. But this is from her work with her other band, The Creatures. She added some lyrics, and the whole thing is very sparse, with just human voices and these, these Tarzan movie drums going on. Have a listen to this one. I love you. Oh. 
I know, I know it's not everybody's cup of tea, but I like that one a lot. Also pretty good is this one by Liz Fair, which was originally recorded for her um, Exile to Guyville album, but instead wound up on an EP and as a bonus track somewhere else. Again, she's changed the words and the general sentiment, but the guitar line is there. Now, in listening to all these covers, I started to think that there's just no way you can screw this song up. There are no bad covers of this song. And I was kind of right on this, but there are a couple of questionable ones. Let me give you the more controversial one first. Wild thing. Bum, 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 ding. You make my heart sing. Hey, Kermit, what are you doing? Oh, hi, Floyd. I'm just playing an unplugged version of Wild Thing on this ukulele here. Oh, yeah. Well, you see, uh, Animal wanted to play the drums on this one. Okay. Lock in! Let me, let me tell you something. I, I grew up watching Sesame Street. I do like the Muppets, but to tell you the honest to goodness truth, when they're not on the street, man, their charm just completely escapes me. I hope we're still cool, even though I confess that to you. The Muppets took a couple of shots at this one. The first one was in episode 222 of The Muppet Show, in which Animal performed the song by himself. That show first aired in the uh, summer of 1977. Can't give you an exact date because the show was syndicated and it aired on different days, but it was you know, about the third week of July, roughly. And then in 1994, we got the clip you just heard from the Kermit Unplugged album. And then there's this one from Hank Williams Jr. in 1995. Uh, I'm just going to play part of the song, but you really need to hear the entire thing for yourself. Hank adds in extra verse where he... No, I can't. I can't tell you. you. Just go listen to the record and then get back to me and tell me if you made it all the way through without laughing out loud. Because I don't know what he thought he was doing here. Okay, let's let's cleanse our palates because it is time to answer today's trivia question. Back on page two, I asked you about the artist whose greatest commercial success came from an alter ego he created that was based on a nickname from his younger years. Well, the artist in question is David Johansson, who was part of the proto-punk band, the New York Dolls. 
but he found some genuine commercial success when, in the late 1980s, he put on the persona of an extra smooth lounge singer and called himself Buster Poindexter. Buster Poindexter is a name that people called him when he was a young intellectual thug growing up on Staten Island. Buster Poindexter's big single, Hot Hot Hot, only made it to number 45 on the Billboard chart, but it also got to number 11 on the Dance Club Play chart. That first Buster Poindexter album got to number 40 on the Billboard Albums chart, and that's as big a success as Johansson got from a charting standpoint. And that's a full lid on another edition of How Good It Is. If you're enjoying the show, please take the time. Share it with someone, your friends, your family, your spouse. Maybe even leave a rating somewhere. And now you can support the show over at patreon.com slash howgooditis. If you want to get in touch with the show, you can email me at howgoodpodcast at gmail.com or you can follow the show on Twitter or Instagram at howgooditis. You can also visit, like, and follow the show's Facebook page at facebook.com slash howgooditispod or you can check out the show's website, howgooditis.com, where you might find a few extra bits. Thanks, as usual, to Podcast Republic for featuring the show. And next time around, we're going to find out how good it is when we try to find out what the frequency is, Kenneth. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you next time. <laughs>